I'm uh, going to start my Erev Rosh Hashanah sermon talking about something I don't usually think about too often. Tornadoes. But we'll get there in a moment. Before we get into tornadoes, let's take a look at a very interesting experiment that was done in South Africa between 1956 and 1962. 436 South African high school students and college students were tasked to imagine that they were future historians. They were to write an essay predicting how the rest of the 20th century would unfold. And they were given this instruction. This is not a test of imagination. Just describe what you honestly expect to happen. In other words, predict, don't imagine. Well, being in the early 1960s South Africa, everybody wrote about apartheid. Two-thirds of the black Africans and 80% of Indian descendants in South Africa predicted societal and political changes that would bring an end to apartheid. But only 4% of white Afrikaners predicted the end of apartheid. How did they get it so wrong? Well, it turns out that the optimistic students' predictions were more like fantasies. The study noted that those who were the beneficiaries of the existing state of affairs were extremely reluctant to predict its end, while those who felt oppressed by the same situation found it all too easy to foresee its collapse. And what's going on here is simple. We have expectations and fantasies about how things are supposed to work. More than a few times we are wrong, and our world seems unstructured and chaotic. So what does this have to do with tornadoes? Well, knowing that we tend to predict what benefits us the most, uh, a follow-up type of experiment was done to the people of a small Texas town uh, about the probability they felt about getting hit by a tornado. Knowing what you know now, almost everyone in town thought that it would never happen to them. And then it happened. Even when the town was actually hit by a tornado, everyone believed that the chances were still very low that the town would be hit by a tornado, or that it was a fluke, or that they were still unlikely to be hit because the law of averages said it could never happen again. And it did. Sometime later, the town was struck again. And it was then, and only then, that the town woke up. They had discovered <laughs> the two-tornado rule, that it takes two tornadoes to wake up from wishful thinking, from wake up, to wake up from fantasy, to wake up from believing that the universe is tailor-made for us and us alone. Even in the face of a random disaster, even the most realistic person will ask, why is this happening to me? We expect the world to be organized and predictable. We have built walls around our lives to protect ourselves and those we love. <laughs> and when disaster happens, 
we are left to wonder just how many of those walls are really illusions of us being in control. Consider the story of a young man who was the congregant of a colleague of mine. A couple of summers ago, uh, this young man was on a work assignment. And driving home, he heard shots uh, fired in the distance. But by the time he could register what was going on, a stolen U-Haul T-boned the passenger side of his car. It spun out of control, and then everything was quiet. Well, thanks to the miracle of modern airbags, he walked away from the car. He was a little shaken, but he wasn't broken. And so still, just to be sure, the hospital did a CAT scan. And not surprising, there was no concussion, there was no internal bleeding, but there was something strange. The scan revealed a brain tumor that at that moment was asymptomatic, but would have been a huge problem in a couple of years. So my colleague asked him how he was doing. And uh, uh, he, he answered that his life was filled with questions. And what were some of his questions? What if I had not put on a seatbelt that day? What if there had been a friend in the passenger seat? Or if the car, the U-Haul, had hit the driver's side and not the passenger side? Had he been a split second ahead, he might not be alive today because of the tumor. But then again, had he been a split second behind and the stolen van missed him completely, there also would not have been an MRI. Had there been no MRI, again, the tumor, the tumor would have remained undetected and there would have been no life-saving surgery. It was a cascade of unknown and unpredictable scenarios, a sequence of chance events that could have gone one way or the other, events that forever altered the direction of his life, an interminable series of impenetrable what-ifs, gratitude mixed with mystery, mixed with dread, all prompted by the realization that our lives can be upended at any instant. Now, the chaos in this world sometimes works to our favor, and we miss the tornado. Sometimes we don't. I think this evening of the 19 children and the two teachers in Uvalde, Texas, who were killed by an 18-year-old who woke up one morning angry and brought, bought an assault rifle, and that afternoon, wiped out an entire second grade class of children, while the police who responded did nothing but stand around paralyzed with fear. So many what ifs, another tornado. And yet what was true at the beginning of the summer is not true now, where in May, people never thought it could happen to them. Now, a mere couple of months later, we recognize the chaos, and every synagogue, every church, every mosque, every school has to have a security guard. What is this Mishagas? In fact, today is a day rooted in chaos. Rosh Hashanah is called Yom Harat Olam, the birthday of the world. 
And if you remember your Torah stories from Genesis, the world was not summoned into existence simply from nothing. Although many people try to imagine the biblical story to say exactly that. It arose from something, something that the Torah calls tohu vavohu, which is often translated as unformed and void, but is more correctly translated as disordered chaos. The story of the world's birth begins with absolute chaos and unpredictability. The story of creation, our creation, and the nature of the world around us is not simply a nice story about how God created the beauty of the world. No, it is about how God prevented our part of the universe not to devolve into chaos once again. God is the great dam builder. God, the Torah is telling us, is the one that brought order to chaos, and yet despite those efforts, chaos still leaks through. Like the strongest dam or the best-built ship, there is always a little something that gets through and threatens to collapse it or sink it all. And I think that's why the prayer that we know as Unatana Tokev was written. Although it, although it is written and often understood as a poem, suggesting that God has already written down the fate of each person, it is nothing of the sort. It is rather a series of questions. Who will live and who will die? Who by fire? Who by water? And so forth. The subliminal message here is that chaos and unpredictability are still part of the matrix of existence, and even God can't fix that. The chaos that we have seen over the past few years is legendary. But what is amazing to me is that despite all of our progress in so many things, the chaos reflected in the Unatana Tokev prayer is as real today as it was when it was written. I mean, think about it. Pandemic, war, hurricane, flood, fire, earthquake. Every day, another B-movie plot is written. Everything in the Unatana Tokev has happened to this country and to us in the past year. Everything. Well, Judaism is founded on these chaotic moments, when things could have gone right instead of left, up instead of down, Sarah being blessed with a child after years of being barren, and giving birth to Isaac, who had become the foundation for the Jewish people, Hagar being cast into the wilderness and then being saved at the last second, or Isaac being bound on the altar, unsure if the angel will arrive in time or not. And of course, my favorite, Joseph's brothers looking for their brother in the wilderness and only by chance come across a man who saw Joseph only moments ago and guided them to him and thus beginning the most important uh, chapter in Jewish history. The cast of characters in our Torah and Haftarah readings, no different than all of us, are forced to pivot over and over. And once again, we are forced to pivot. We are formed upon chaos and built upon unpredictability because that's what we are made of. 
that prayer simply reminds us of it. And yet, that's not the entirety of the poem. Because the poem ends with hope. It is not the hope that says, don't worry about it, everything will be okay. It does not say that God is going to take care of all of our tsuras. In fact, the main part of the poem doesn't even mention God at all. It simply says, Uteshuva, Utefila, Utsadaka. Teshuva, repentance, acts of tefila or prayer, and acts of tzedakah, righteousness, annul the severity of the decree. The poem is telling us that if we simply sit around and wait for everything to get better, we will be sitting around for an infinitely long time, since without us, the world would indeed devolve into a forever chaotic place without a hint of goodness, morality, ethics, or holiness. We are all that standing between chaos and order. Teshuva, repentance, is the first of this bulwark against chaos. It is the breaking down of barriers between ourselves and those we have wronged or who have wronged us. It is the Jewish way of saying that we are all on this journey together and we can either tear each other apart or live together constructing something more healthy. We don't have to love the person we are forgiving or repenting with. All we are asking is that we recognize that our horizons need to be beyond the immediate and understand that the end of the line is coming faster than we think. Or, from the Carl Sandburg poem, who wrote the poem called Limited, this is what he wrote. I am riding on a limited express, one of the crack trains of the nations, hurtling across the prairie into the blue haze and dark air, go 15 all-steel coaches holding a 1,000 people. All the coaches shall be scrap and rust, and all the men and women laughing in the diners and sleepers shall pass to ashes. I ask a man in the smoker where he's going, and he answers, Omaha. Repentance reminds us that we are not simply going to Omaha. Our destination, ours and the people we wronged, are going far beyond Omaha. Getting there together in peace, even if there is no love or even a minimal amount of respect, is better than the chaos of hate and the disarray of mistrust. The second term, tefillah, is confusing. And though it is often meant to denote prayer, it is a strange word because the root of it has nothing to do with prayer, but rather with judgment. To do tefillah is to constantly stand in judgment of ourselves. What does this mean? It means to judge ourselves by the notions we know to be ethical, good, and more broadly speaking, to be in the service of fixing the world and holding back the chaos. This is the antithesis of the way too many Americans look at religion in America today. This, their religion, that religion, is wrapped up in fancy productions, in the worship of guns, in the talk 
of hating everyone who isn't white. And like you, along comes Unatanatokev, whispering in our ear that God is found in the acts of goodness and not in the bombastic bloviations of the so-called religious people who long ago forgot the meaning of prayer. Tefillah is the action of remaining human when the impulse is to be anything but. And finally, tzedakah, which is one of those words whose meaning we kind of only partially understand. Most people know tzedakah as charity. It's not incorrect, but that's not its full meaning. Tzedakah is more expansive than that. Tzedakah is bringing righteousness into a world which is lacking righteousness. Tzedakah is keeping our finger in the dike and keeping out the chaos. This is reflected in a rabbinic meditation on Abraham. Our sages compare him to a man on a journey who sees a bira doleket, a a palace ablaze in flames. And And the traveler wonders if it's possible that the palace lacks an owner. And just then the owner of the palace calls out from the blaze, I'm the owner of the palace. And the traveler understands that he, the traveler, has a part to play in extinguishing the fire and containing the ashes. Abraham, and by extension every Jew since then, is called to, our, is called to respond to our world in need of rescue and repair, to put out the fire wherever in God's world the fires burn. Tzedakah is the ever-going, is the ever-ongoing search for peace and order in a world in chaos. And yet these days it is more understood as a prelude to punishment. Consider the story of General Robert E. Lee. Civil War. A young soldier was brought to him charged with some offense, and he was so afraid that he was shaking. And General Lee looked at him and said, don't be afraid, son. You're going to get justice here. And the young soldier replied, that's why I'm shaking. Justice is often seen in that way, a punishment. But justice is much more than that. Tzedakah is not the effort to make everyone the same under a threat of arrest or punishment, but it is rather the the effort to inspire, to reach heights of holiness through acts of love and mutual respect, honesty, integrity, and inspiration. Tzedakah is not about prisons and pain. It is about real equanimity, where all are truly understood to be created in God's image. Or as a friend of mine wrote, God's miracle is not in the thunder and lightning, but in people sheltering one another from the storm. Repentance, prayer, and charity, these are the things that help us help God hold back the chaos. Seems pretty easy, and yet chaos never seems to end. Someone, somehow, somewhere, something will break through into our secure little worlds and remind us that just below the surface of everything good is a world which is out of control. God may have created the physical world out of tohu vavohu, out of utter chaos, but chaos was only the building blocks of the universe, not necessarily its end. If we are here, then the world is God's message to us 
that we are supposed to be here. Unatana Tokev tells us what we can expect, unpredictability. But it also tells us how we navigate it with holiness, with moving ethically, speaking justly, acting reflectively. This is how we keep, this is how we help God keep the chaos from overwhelming all of us. The chaos will still be there, but our response need not be one to run away and ignore it. In 2021, a young man named Max Lewis was on a subway in Chicago. It was a stray bullet fired by a stray shooter in a stray direction in a country that has no problems with guns. He got shot through the subway window, but he did not die immediately. He was struck in the neck by this stray bullet, stray shot by a stray gun. And he was struck in the neck, rushed to the hospital, and though he re regained consciousness, having suffered a very serious spinal cord injury, he couldn't talk, he could not use his arms or legs, he couldn't eat, and he couldn't breathe except with a ventilator. To speak, the speech therapist came in with a letter board, and Max could only move his eyelid. One blink for yes, two blinks for no. The doctors explained to Max the severity and worse, the irreversibility of his condition. This would be a matter of when, not if. His friends prayed outside his room as his family stood by his side. And one blink at a time, Max communicated to his mother by means of the letter board, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to go home. Please pull the plug. I can't live this way. And Max, in response to this chaos, took control in the last moment of his life. And he, in front of his family, recited the Shema. Max, fi Max's final act in this world was the empowered choice to determine the terms of his death. Tohu vavohu, chaos. The chaos of the tornado we are certain will never come, but comes twice and lies just beneath the surface of all we know. A moment between life and death, a moment between peace and war, between fire and water. I'm not telling you anything new. Rosh Hashanah knows that you know. Unatana Tokef knows that you know. But what must be repeated year after year is that we are not helpless and powerless. How we live and, and that we live is the ultimate act of chutzpah in the face of a chaotic universe. God wants us all to be chutzpahdik. And that means standing at the edge of chaos, being a partner with God who looks upon us and declares, tov ma'od, that God saw all that he had made and found it very good. Holding off the chaos is very good. Pushing back the darkness with our light is the highest good. Let this new year be a year when our prayers make a difference in our lives and in the lives of others, where our repentance heals the cracks in the overwhelming forces of chaos, 
and in our acts of justice to bring balance to a world so desperately out of balance. None of us can do it alone. It is a Jewish effort, not to make everyone Jewish, but to make everyone the kind of human being that God can look upon us and smile. Shana Tova, I pray that we all have a good year. May your repentance, your prayer, and your acts of tzedakah change this out-of-balance world. Shana Tova.